Good morning. You're going to hear my cat driving me absolutely batshit crazy. <laughs> because it's been a whole like two hours since he ate and he thinks that he's dying. So anyways, I thought I want to talk to you guys about numerology and teach you guys that. But I thought for now, while well, I'm still piecing that all together in like a written format for you guys to go off of as well. I thought I would start with something a little bit more fun since we're at the beginning of the week, so to speak, since it's Monday, I thought it'd be cool to talk about the Norse versions of the days of the week. Okay. So I'll tell you first all the days of the week and the god or goddess associated to it. And then afterwards, I'll give you a short little myth about what that god or goddess is known for. Hello, absolute empowerment. Chris. Okay, so Mondays. Well, let's start off with Sundays, and I'll explain why in a second. So Sunday is known as the sun, okay? And Monday is the moon. And the reason that there is because Norse mythology and the moon are expressed through a pair of siblings, a brother and sister. So soul, which is French or old German for sun, and money for the moon. So you'll notice in a lot of mythologies and stuff, the sun is always considered masculine and the moon is usually feminine. But in Norse mythology, it was actually the opposite. So, let's see here. So, Solomani form a sister and brother pair. So, when they first emerged, when the cosmos was first being created, they didn't know what their powers were or what their role, right, in this world was going to be. So, the gods met together and created the different parts of the days and the years and the phases of the moon so that Solomani would know where they would fit into the great scheme of things. Now, there's stories you'll see in mythologies where their father revered and called them this and since he went ahead and gave them a god and goddess like name in essence or a creation type name the gods and goddesses got upset and as a repentant sort of put them up into the sky to be chased continuously by two wolves and that's how you always see them depicted they'll be riding a chariot pulled by horses obviously and they're being chased by a wolf so they ride through the sky in horse-drawn chariots. The horses who pull Mani's chariot are never named, but Sol's horses are apparently named Arvkar, which means early riser, and Swift, which is Elsvor. They ride swiftly because they are pursued through the sky by the wolves Skull, which means mockery, and Haiti, which means hate, who will overtake them when the Cosmo descends back into chaos during Ragnarok. So Ragnarok in Norse mythology is what they consider the end of the world. And it is inevitable that it will happen. And all the gods and goddesses know their fate. And basically all the mythologies are around them trying to escape their fate. So it's kind of funny, even though they know it's going to happen. Okay, so Tuesday would be for Tyr, okay? T-Y-R. That is what Tuesday is named after. I know, obviously, these names had different beliefs for different places, but this is association to the Norse. 
Okay. So, Tyr is known as Tiwaz or represents Tiwaz in runes, right? If you're to read Norse runes, which is divination system, and it's all about sacrifice and victory. And this is why it's most commonly known for the mythology called the Binding of Fenrir. Okay, so the Norse has the god Loki, who we've all heard of, obviously. He is um, he is friend and an enemy, right? Depending on what he wants with the other gods. And he had three children with the giantess in Groboda. And now, and her name means anguish. Now he gave birth to them, not her, by the way. The first was a serpent named Jorgamond, which you will learn is who Thor is always trying to combat. The second is death or hell, which is spelled H-E-L, and it's a woman. And she is basically where everyday people go. So if you weren't someone who was like a fisherman or obviously somebody died in battle, you would go to hell. And then the third one was a wolf called Fenrir. So they knew based off of the runes and by the different and by the Norns, which speak their fate, that Fenrir was going to kill Odin. That was the fate. And Odin is sort of like their main god of the pantheon, right? So they can't have that. But they know that Yorgamond would later kill the god Thor during Ragnarok, right? That's the end of the world I mentioned. And we'll learn about Hell's sort of um Hell's kind of connection to Baldur, which we'll speak of for Friday. But we knew that Fenrir would devour Odin, the chief of the gods. So in order to keep these monsters at bay, they threw Jorgamond into an ocean where he encircled the realm of men called Midgard. And then obviously Hell went to the underworld and Fenrir... <laughs> They didn't know what to do with him, right? So he was still, they, ra they raised the pup, the god and goddesses raised them himself in Asgard, the land of the gods. So the only one who ever really took care of him in terms of feeding him would have been Tyr. And they knew as Tyr grew and he became very huge, he wasn't a typical wolf. They knew that they had to be able to chain him up somehow, right? because they knew what he was going to do so they told him they were like they were going to test his strengths by putting him on um on different leads right and he kept breaking free obviously because he's a little bit more magical than just your typical wolf so what they did was they went down to svoltenheim the realm of the dwarves and they're sort of the skilled craftsmen of the Norse mythology. So they got a chain that was magical. So the strength couldn't be, you know, couldn't be broken. And they went back to him and said, okay, you know, we're going to put this one last one on you. But Fenrir knew something was up. So he said, he goes, I will let you put this chain around my neck under one condition. One of you has to put your hand in my mouth. So that way, if I can't break free one of you sacrifices your hand and Tyr was the one who sacrificed his hand in order to get Fenrir bound up in this chain which he would later still break free of and still be a part of Ragnarok but they kept him under bay for a long time so Tyr is known for Tuesday and he represents sacrifice and victory doing what's best for mankind overall 
some people or some scholars believe he could have been one of the first gods instead of Odin, since a lot of obviously older um, mythologies like that were oral traditions, and we only have the prose and poetic to go off of. And the one is more Christian-based, written by Snorri Sturluson after Christians had kind of been in the area. So not that they're wrong or that they aren't great stories. It's just that it does have an influence when there's a new culture at bay, right? Especially when the writer themselves was of a different belief. So Wednesday is Odin's day. So like I said, Odin would be the all-father. And when the cosmos was created, Odin and two of his brothers were sort of the three first people born, I guess you could say, out of the chaos. And they fought to the death and Odin was the one that won out of that family line. So, okay. So he's a type and his main, I mean, he's in so many mythologies because he's sort of the main guy, but the main story that he's known for is for finding the runes, right? The runes that we do divination with, or in their case, it wasn't considered an alphabet because it wasn't Latin, but um, it was still a writing system and they used it in as markers on graves or, you know, places where people want to be found. And I believe the oldest the oldest markings they could find was on a brooch, I believe. Anyways, so I'm going to read this for you. At the center of the Norse cosmos stands the great tree called Yggdrasil. Yggdrasil's upper branches cradled Asgard, the home and fortress of the Asir gods and goddesses, of whom Odin is the chief. So Yggdrasil grows out of the well of Erd, a pool whose fathomless depths hold many of the most powerful forces and beings in the cosmos. Among these beings are the Norns, the three sagacious, sagacious maidens who create the fates of all being. One of the foremost techniques they use to shape fate is by carving runes into Yggdrasil's trunk. The symbols then carry these intentions throughout the tree, affecting everything in the nine worlds. So Odin watched the Norns from his seat in Asgard and envied their powers and their wisdom, and he bent his will towards the task of coming to know the runes. Since the runes' native home is in the well of Erd with the Norns, and since the runes do not reveal themselves to any but those who prove themselves worthy of such fearful insights and abilities, Odin hung himself from a branch of Yggdrasil, pierced himself with his spear, and peered downwards or hung downwards into the shadowy waters below. He forbade any of the other gods to grant him the slightest aid and not even a sip of water, and he stared downward and stared downward and called to the runes. In other mythologies, you'll hear of him making his way down to where he takes a sip of the water of another well and in return he has to pluck his eye and that's where he gets the knowledge that the runes is where the fates of men are at and then he goes and hangs himself from the tree but he survived in a state teetering on the precipice that separates the living from the dead for no less than nine days and nine nights right so you always notice three six nine in uh, mythologies so that's nine's a big one for Norse 
So at the end of the ninth night, he at last perceived the shapes in the depths, the rooms. They had accepted his sacrifice and shown themselves to him, revealing to him not only their forms, but also the secrets that lie within them. Having fixed his knowledge in his formidable memory, Odin ended his ordeal with a scream of exultation. Having been initiated into the mysteries of the rune, Odin recounted, then I was fertilized and became wise. I truly grew and thrived. From a word to a word, I was led to a word. From a work to a work, I was led to a work. And that was how he knew and found the knowledge for all men and their fates. Or really, it was God's, God's fate. So they, they um, some people will try to pin it or make it akin to, say, you know, other sacrifices like Jesus sacrificing himself on the cross. But he wasn't really doing it for the good of mankind. He was doing it for himself. Odin was. So in the sense, not quite the same thing, but, you know, that's how it is. So Thursday, you'll hear all the time, is known as Thor's Day. Okay. Or um, it is also known as Frigdeg. Now, let's see here. Thor's. Thor, I'm going to tell you about his story of when he had to, because Thor, Thor and Loki get together a lot. And Loki and Thor are not brothers, by the way. Okay, so Thor is a descendant of Odin. Loki is from his own family tree. But a lot of times, um, a lot of times Loki will get himself in shit by doing, he does something selfish and then the, the gods and goddesses want to kill him and give him shit. And then he fixes it by doing something. And a lot of times it ends up with him and Thor dressed as women, which is kind of odd. <laughs> and normally I tell other stories, but I found this one this morning. So I thought it'd be fun. My categories. So one morning Thor awoke to find his hammer, which is called Molnir lightning missing. Okay. Right. Are you going to tell me about it? Okay. Yeah. All right. So there was no small matter without the Thunder God's best weapon. Asgard, the realm of the humans, was left vulnerable to the attacks of the giants or Asgard, the land of the, sorry, the gods and goddesses. So in a rage, he searched everywhere for his most prized possession, but it was nowhere to be found. The goddess Freya, which is Old Norse for a woman, um, owned falcon feathers with which one could change one's shape into that of a falcon. She lent these to Thor and Loki so that the hammer could be located. Loki, who knew how to shift his shape, donned the feathers and flew off in search of the treasure. He quickly surmised that it had probably been stolen by the giants, so he rode with the winds to their homeland, Jotunheim. Okay, so upon his arrival, he changed back into his god form and approached the chief of the giants, Thrym or Noisy. When questioned regarding the hammer, Thrym answered that he had indeed taken it and that it was buried eight miles below the ground, and added the lonely, ugly giant he had no intentions of returning it until Freya was made his bride. <laughs> so Loki flew back to Asgard, the land of the gods and goddesses, or the one, and told the news of his fellow gods who were alarmed and furious, especially Freya, as they sat in council, Hemdal put forth the following solution, that Thor go to Jotunheim disguised as Freya, and thereby win back his hammer and take vengeance on its thieves. 
Thor protested, saying that this was his dishonorable and unmanly thing to do, and that all of the inhabitants of Asgard would mock him for it for the rest of his days. Now, Loki pointed out, however, that if he didn't consent to Hamdal's plan, Asgard would be ruled by the giants. The gods thereby obtained Thor's acquiescence. My cat is doing something he is not supposed to be doing. I think he was trying to feed himself. Anyways, <laughs> okay. So, no detail was spared in the assemblage of Thor's bridal dress. After the humiliated god had donned his costume, Loki offered to go with him as his maidservant. The pair climbed into Thor's goat-drawn chariot and made their way to Jotunheim. When they arrived, they were welcomed by Thrym, who boasted that the gods had at last brought him the prize he was due. At dinner, Thor and Loki found themselves in trouble. Thor single-handedly ate an entire ox, ate salmon, and all of the dainties that had been prepared for the women, not to mention the many perils of mead he drank. This made Thrym suspicious, and he declared that he had never in his whole life seen a woman with such an appetite. Loki quickly devised a response. The fair goddess has been so lovesick for you, he claimed, that she hasn't been able to eat for a week. Thrym accepted this answer and was overcome by a desire to kiss his bride. When he peeled back the veil, Thor's eyes glared at him so intently that they seemed to burn holes right through him. He exclaimed, never have I seen a maiden with such a frightfully piercing eyes. Loki, the master of deceit explained to the giant that while Freya had been unable to eat, she had also been unable to sleep, so fierce was her longing for him. The ceremony soon followed, as was customary, and Thrym called for the hammer to hollow their union, and when Molnir was laid in Thor's lap, he grabbed the handle and slew first Thrym and then all of the guests before contentedly returning to Asgard and changing back into his preferred clothes. <laughs> so, Thor's always, he's Thursa's in uh, the Norse runes, and he's all about brute strength, right? So it's using your strength wisely, but he has some of the funnier mythologies. And then last but not least, I'm going to speak to Frigg, who is Odin's wife. And some, some uh, cultures believe that she brought the flute from the Celts. But we don't really know where she comes from. But she is most known for being a loving wife, mother, and to animals as well. So her story is mostly associated to her son, Baldur. And Baldur was one of the most loved gods throughout the land. Okay. So he is loved by all the gods and goddesses. And being of a more physical nature, so handsome and gracious and cheerful is he that he actually emanates light. The meaning of his name is uncertain, has been the topic of a lot of people, but a lot of people think that it means white or lord, okay? So, let's see here. When Boulder began to have dreams of his death, Frigg, his mother, went around to everything in the world and secured from each of them an oath not to harm her son. Confident in Baldur's invincibility, the gods amused themselves by throwing weapons and any random things they could find at Baldur and watching them bounce off him, leaving him utterly unscathed, right? Because, you know, that's that's mature. So Loki, the guileful trickster of the gods, sensed an opportunity for mischief. 
He inquired of Frigg whether she had overlooked anything whatsoever in her quest to obtain oaths. She casually answered that she had thought the mistletoe to be too small and harmless a thing to bother asking for such a promise. Loki straight away made a spear from the mistletoe and convinced the blind god and brother of Baldur named Holt to throw it at Baldur. The projectile pierced the god and he fell down dead. The anguished gods then ordained that one of them should go to the underworld to see if there was any way Baldur could be retrieved from the clutches of the death of the goddess Hel. Hermod, another one of Odin's many sons, agreed to take the journey, mounting Odin's steed Slipnir, the eight-legged horse, which is actually Hel's child, so Loki's grandchild. He rode down the world tree and he came to its dark and damp roots. Now, in other stories, it's Frigga who does this. And it speaks to a mom willing to do whatever it takes for her son. But when he arrived, he found his brother, pale and grim, sitting in the seat of honor next to hell. In other stories, he's with his wife. Hermod implored the dreadful goddess to release Baldur, and after much persuasion, she replied that she would give him up if and only if everything in the world would weep for Baldur, to prove, in other words, that he was universally beloved, as everyone claimed. So the whole world did indeed weep for the gen- for the generous son of Odin and Frigg, all that is, save for one creature, the giantess Thok, which means thanks, generally assumed to be Loki in disguise, callously refused to perform the act that would secure Baldur's return, and so Baldur was doomed to remain in hell in her joyless realm. And Thok, or thanks, is said to be like a little old lady, which is really Loki. Now, let's see here. We can be reasonably certain that the tale was told by Snorri. So this is one that gets, um, that changes with the belief systems as they moved through, uh, as they moved through Scandinavians. But the interesting thing is, is that he has thought that when the end of the world happens, right, Hemdall blows his horn, and that's how they know that the end of the world is about to begin. Fenrir, the wolf I told you about, breaks off his chain, and Thor goes to fight Jorgamond, and all of the gods and goddesses, even the ones that have passed away, including Baldur, rise up from the dead and fight. And it is thought that Baldur is one of the few that actually survives Ragnarok and stays on Yggdrasil, the world ash tree, and helps uh, restart humanity or, you know, the different worlds, the gods. So that, my dears, is your days of the week and a little bit of fun Norse mythology for you in this morning. All right. Take care, guys. Bye. Maury says bye, too. <laughs>